Welcome to the Imposter Syndrome Files. My name is Kim Menninger, and my personal mission is to help women overcome imposter syndrome and advance your career with confidence. Each week, I interview a new guest to share how they've navigated self-doubt to achieve success. The more we share our stories, the more we destigmatize imposter syndrome, recognize that we're not alone, and empower ourselves to access the tools and resources that can help us. Thank you so much for listening and sharing. Have you ever had a bathroom floor moment? That moment when you hit rock bottom and found yourself in tears on the bathroom floor? Many of us have had an actual or metaphorical bathroom floor moment. And while it's very painful, it's also a blessing in disguise. What it offers us is a chance to rise from that bathroom floor and see ourselves and our lives through a new lens, make a different choice about how we move forward. In today's episode, I talk with Becca Powers, a sales executive in the tech industry by day and a women's career and life coach by night. Becca shares her own bathroom floor moment and how she got there. Most importantly, she shares how she rose from that bathroom floor with a vision of herself as the CEO of her own life and how that changed her career and overall life direction. She also shares practical wisdom and insights to help you avoid or rise from your own bathroom floor moment. Thanks for listening. All right, welcome Becca. I am super excited for our conversation today and it's nice to see you. I know others who are listening won't be able to see you, but I can see you right now and I know we've had some conversations, so it's nice to see your face. I would love to invite you to introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit more about you. Yeah, thank you so much. So I have a 20-year background in corporate sales specifically. I've spent time at Cisco, Dell, Office Depot. So I've done the, the big Fortune 500 thing. But what I really like to lean into when I introduce myself is that I'm multifaceted because I think that as women too, we can sometimes want to just line ourselves to one thing. So although I am a corporate sales executive, I am also a writer. I am also a speaker. I am also a Kundalini teacher. I'm also a mom of a blended family. So that's kind of what I like to lead off with. Oh, I'm so glad you did, because I think it is important for us to talk about ourselves more holistically. And I'm wondering, how do you think about all of these different aspects of yourself at this point today? Like, what are what's your your primary focus right now? My, my primary focus is empowering women to be their whole selves, truly. And I know you like to talk a lot about imposter syndrome, but when we are compartmentalizing ourselves, we end up in imposter syndrome. So it's really that freeing of being one whole person. And for women specifically, I feel that we self-sacrifice a lot and things like that. So my, my primary focus is empowering women to be happy, whole, complete, and thrive, like make money too, like be, do it all. (laughs) I love that you said compartmentalizing can lead to imposter syndrome. Can you say more about that? Yes, I'd love to. And I'm a product of that. So I have mentioned that in my opening, I like to say that I'm multifaceted because it was in the compartmentalizing that I worked myself to burnout and almost hospitalization. So it was really real for me and what ended up happening. And I'll tell you more about the the story specifically in a second, but to answer your question, I ran my life at one point as corporate sales executive, one hat, 
And then if I was going home, I would put, hang that hat and put on my mom hat. Right. And then it was like always these different hats. And what I didn't realize is that I was really all of these people at the same time. So this compartmentalizing was really stressing me out and putting a toll even on my nervous system because I was like trying to be mom, but guess what? I'm one whole person. So I'm thinking about work when I'm being mom or I'm at work thinking about (laughs) being a mom. And, and, but I had guilt associated with that because I was compartmentalizing myself. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It's so interesting that you call that out because I think that we, we can all relate to that, but it's sometimes just happens so automatically that we don't necessarily consciously recognize that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And that's what was happening for me is it was not a conscious recognition until I was on the bathroom floor. So if you, if you want, I could tell, talk to you about like my story and a quick high level. Yeah. I think that'll really help the listeners understand a little bit more what I'm talking about. So I had mentioned that I'm you know, Fortune 500 sales executive as a regional sales manager for Dell back in 2013. As a sales leader, I am really, I'm a very mission and service-based human just in general. So when I lead, I lead from a place of people before profits. And I say that because this is a very high passion of mine. I get very dedicated to this. And I got recruited by a company that has a very similar motto. So even though I loved working at Dell, I was like, I have to take this job because it's completely in alignment with my my leadership mantra. And in doing so, though, I had to take a pay cut. So I'm just like tabling that because that was a hit to my self-worth and I didn't know it. And it it leaded to this compartmentalization, this breakdown and all these things that I've alluded to. So, but what happened when I went to go resign, I had a really fabulous leader at, at Dell and he told me that he was proud of me and that I was CEO of my own life. And so back in 2013, that nugget, like I remember that moment so clearly that aha moment tripped over me and I was like, Ooh, <laughs> that's great. But then I went into this role and in about two to three months, I could tell that it wasn't a fit. And then specifically we talk about imposter syndrome and we'll go in. I was asked, my leadership style was a lot different. It was very high paced and very like data driven and different things like that. And I got asked to tone it down by 50%. And I said, yes. And said, and I I was a confident woman too, businesswoman, all successful. And I didn't realize that was going to be like the downfall to my demise. And then all these imposter syndromes really happened within myself. And I didn't even know it. So how you said it kind of happened naturally and organically, it did for me. And what happened is after two or three years of not like listening to myself and giving myself to be a room to be a whole person, I ended up in burnout. I had by that time, after two or three years in this state, I had two anxiety disorders diagnosed, autoimmune disease, my hair was falling out in clumps, and it ended with me having a breakdown on the bathroom floor, like literally praying to God universe, like, hello, I know I haven't prayed to you a long time, but I could use some help right now. (laughs) So, mm -hmm. and then from that moment, I'll just wrap up. That's when I say like my instant miracle came and I'm sitting there crying on the bathroom floor. And I had that instant memory of being told by that Dell VP that I was the CEO of my own life. And from there, I was able to be like, well, if I'm the CEO of my own life, then why am I crying on the bathroom floor? I have a lot more power than I think I do. Uh And so that's when things started to change and shift. So 
I want to just go back for a moment because I want to understand what did they mean when they said tone it down by 50%? What were they not, what did they not want to see from you? Well, I think that was the part that was most confusing is they were very unclear on what that ask meant. It did include taking away my Excel spreadsheets though. And I cried that night when I went home. I'm like, then they took away Excel too. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? <laughs> but I was still so committed to this, to the company and to the passions behind it of putting people first and things like that, that I was willing to alter myself for the, for the cause, so to speak but there was no clarity on what that meant. And at the end of the day, the lesson I learned is that no one can ever like health, healthily, healthily be, it's not a word, but there's no way a person can be 50% of themselves and be healthy and thrive. Mm-hmm. It's just not possible. Yeah. I mean, there's so much there. And the reason why I came back to it is because I think so many people listening can relate to the idea of being told by someone that you're too much, not enough. You need to change something. And especially when we're talking about your authentic self, who you naturally are, A, you can't really do that without the kinds of consequences that you're describing. And B, the message is never actionable enough. So even if you wanted to, what are you supposed to do with that? How how are you supposed to measure 50% of who you are? That's exactly right. And like, I don't think the ask came from a bad place but it totally put me in a horrible tailspin Mm. because you go into this space of like, A, I believed in this mission mantra of mine and I wanted to see it through a little bit. And then B, I was a new leader and I didn't know anybody. This was a new industry for me and I wanted to be validated. I wanted to be approved. I wanted to be liked. And so those parts of my human makeup, right? were the factors that drove me to say yes. And that was really like my downfall. Wow. And so let's pick up where you have that, that memory, right? That inspirational, wait a second. I, if I'm the CEO of my own life, I don't need to be here on the bathroom. Mm-hmm. What happened next? I get the goosebumps as you asked me that. The <laughs> very first thing I did was rise off the bathroom floor. And I say that because I think almost everybody has either had a bathroom floor moment or a metaphorical bathroom floor moment, right? And when that, when I had that moment of inspiration and empowerment, I'm like, I'm the CEO of my own life. I rose off that floor, a different woman than the one who fell down crying. Mm -hmm. And I was back in touch with my personal power. I didn't know what that was gonna look like. I didn't know what the next step was. All I knew is that everything was going to be okay. I was back in touch to my, in, in, back in touch with my self-reliancy and I just rose. I don't know how else to say it. Wow. So what did you do? What was, what were some of the steps that you took? So the very first, I have two steps that I want to share. And I think that they're very practical. So like, if you're listening to this and you're like, okay, I can get on board with the idea that I'm CEO of my own life. And maybe you feel that rush of empowerment that I was talking about, right? The first thing I did was I called a friend and I said what was wrong. I called, she was one of my Dell buddies and I called her and she thought I should have left this job a long time ago. Okay. She was like, one of those people is like, Becca, you're Becca Powers. What are you doing there? Like, you need to get back to tech. Come on. And so, but I called her and I was just like, I'm finally willing to admit that 
everything's screwed up. I don't know how it's going to change, but I'm finally willing to change. This isn't working and I'm falling apart, you know? And so I finally said it out loud to someone else. And I really, really do believe that support and, and also sharing it with someone else is a catalyst for change in itself. Secondly, and so just that person, her name's Jesse, but Jesse ended up bringing me back to Dell, like through connections. So that phone call, I had no intention behind it. I wasn't trying to get a job or anything. I was finally just willing to share and just ask for support. And then that call ended up being my, my call for change, but I didn't know that at the time. So my step one practical thing is just share with somebody who, you know, truly supports you and then B boundaries, right? I was saying, yes to other people instead of yes to myself. And that needed to change. I didn't know what that was looking like. And I had spent so much time in, in that approval zone of wanting people to like me, validate me, approve, approve of me that it was really scary. Like my nervous system was shaking. I was like, Oh my God, I got to stand up for myself. But I started softly saying no. So I say, I say a lot that I said no instead of yes, but it more looked like going into work the next day and saying, no, I'm not going to take that extra meeting or no, I'm not going to take on an extra project. Like I needed more time and space and I was queen of overcommitment. So if you're a listener and you're in that zone of overcommitment, overextension, there's probably an indication that you're saying yes to too many things and not as many yeses to yourself. And so I started just saying no softly so that I could find myself instead of being like, no, I'm not doing that. Like if I got, I mean, I'm a sales leader, right? I got to participate to a certain degree, but if I got called into a meeting, like the next day it happened, I got called into a meeting and we were talking about some training that we want wanting to roll out. And normally I would either say, yeah, I'll do it. Or yeah, I'll support it. Or yeah, I'll participate in the, the content and the concepts. And I was just like, you know, I really have a lot on my plate right now. I'm not going to be able to participate in that one, but maybe Jennifer can, hmm. right? So it didn't look like no, like I was angry or something. It just looked like, Hey, I have too much on my plate, which was just very protective. I was in a very protective state with myself. And then I just kept doing it. And the more I kept doing it, the more empowered that I felt. And the last thing I want to say to this is if listeners are like, yes, I think I can do that. The other part I want you to know, and then Kim, I don't know if you want to say anything to this is that it also then gets really scary because then you stop being included. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I said, know enough times that then I wasn't included in some of the brainstorming sessions. I started seeing other people rise and I was being, you know, left out. And that was pretty, that was a horrible feeling, but I was doing it intentionally. So I just wanted to also say that that kind of comes as a pro uh, as the part of the process thing dynamics start to shift. And I just had to be like strong enough for that. But right on the other side of that, Then I got all this time and space back for me. I was able to divert time back into my family. I was able to divert time back into meditation to passions. Like I started writing group and just like, I wasn't even ready to write a book. I just needed to, I needed to be me. Mm. Right. And I needed to find what that looked like again. And with time and space, I was able to do that. Wow. There's so much to what you just said, because I think it's, it's so impressive that you identify as somebody who has pleasing tendencies, which I certainly do as well. And I think a lot of people listening would probably feel the same way. Mm -hmm. And so that ability to say no, even softly feels horrifying. Sometimes it feels like, 
How could I possibly say no for any number of reasons? It might be, I don't want to alienate people. I don't want to disappoint someone. I don't want to be left out. I want, I want to be in the middle of, I want to feel important, right? Mm-hmm. All kinds of motivations for that. But like you're saying, if you do that, there are consequences to that, that you need to understand so that you can make a choice that's best for you. And the disappointment of not being included in certain conversations I can imagine was, was high at times, but focusing on what you're gaining and not just what you're losing, I would think would be helpful to that too, right? Of yes, maybe I wasn't invited to this meeting, but I've had this extra time to do this thing that I'm passionate about or spend more time with my family, right? So to really balance that thought process out. Yes, exactly. And that's, I had to hold that higher vision and and really anchor into that to get me through the discomfort of not being included. Hmm. Yeah. Aside from you not being included in certain conversations, did anybody balk at your saying no? Did you find that there was any conflict? Like, what did it look like? Yeah. I mean, definitely a lot of people were doing temperature checks on me because, you know, I'm a sales leader and they obviously want to make sure that I am engaged with my team and driving to outcomes. So that part was still alive in me. But there was a lot of curiosity of what's going on with Becca because I was acting different. Did you share anything? No, I was at a place where I realized that no one really approached me about the stress levels that I did. And I'm not saying that people didn't care about me because I have a lot of friends and, and even part of like some people that were on my sales, the sale, my sales peers, my sales leadership peers, I'm still friends with today. But what I had to come down to is that at the end of the day, I've been running like this for two or three years and no one's been like, oh my God, Becca, your hair's falling out in clumps. Are you okay? Mm. You know, and that made me realize I didn't really understand who was my friend or foe in that environment. And I do believe some people that I were friends might have just been saying some things in passing and not even, I don't think anyone had any ill intention towards me. And I think that's a really, maybe something that people can relate to in their work environments. Like some people are personally attacked, but sometimes you're just in a, in a bad fit for you. And I think that's what happened to me. And I was not able to distinguish well enough who was friend or foe or who might speak or not speak. So I was very hesitant on sharing personal feelings and I just focused on my own healing. Wow, that's really, that's a really powerful way to say what I'm sure a lot of us have felt. And it's easy to feel supported when you're going with the flow and you're doing what's expected of you. And yeah, people are generally friendly or, you know, civil when you're working with them. Mm -hmm. Can you trust them at a deeper level? And I think that is an important consideration too, especially when you're still trying to figure out, I would imagine in your own head, what you want, what you want this to look like before you necessarily reveal that to people you are not even sure you could trust. Exactly. And then, you know, I had to also make the decision. There was a lot of things that I really loved about the company, but I was obviously, and my health was an indicator that things were horribly wrong. And so I had to even just make the decision. Do I stay or do I go? Like, what do I have to want to, 
And if I go, what is my career? What is redefining my career look like? Do I stay in sales leadership? Do I stay in Fortune 500? Do I go back to field sales? Like I had so many things that I had to consider that talking to other people either brought more confusion or invited opinions where I wasn't strong enough to hear them yet. Mm. So that was another aspect of this, like silence felt more appropriate. (laughs) In hindsight, would you have done anything differently? Yes. Yes. In hindsight, I would have gone back to that initial conversation where I was asked to be 50% of myself and asked myself a different series of questions. I call in like the what ifs, but I ran my what ifs from fear. I was like, what if they don't accept, you know, what if I stood up to this? I remember thinking this in my head, what if I stood up to this? Because again, I'm a powerful businesswoman, I'm confident, you know, but in my head, I'm like, what if I stand up to this and I lose my job? Right. What if I stay, I'm the primary breadwinner. I've got four kids in middle school, be a blended family. And like, there was just a lot on my shoulders. So my, what ifs really stood from fear, like, or what if, you know, I did say something and then I I kept my job, but then I wasn't accepted and liked and brought into the inner circle. I'm new. I don't have alliances. Like there's so many things that went into my head. But when I, when I sat down to write the book, this, what if was part of my inner reflection was, but what if I had stood up for myself? What would that have done to my self-worth? Like I think of like from an empowerment perspective, like what that would have done to me, like it would have filled me with, with power. It would have filled me with passion. It would have filled me with pride. And I would have been able to like, know that I have my own back, you know, and that I'm not willing to sacrifice my well-being, who I am, my character, all of that, because someone else wants to hold me down. But that's not the series of questions I asked myself. But for listeners, I would say like, what if you did it? And what are the positive outcomes to like ask yourself what ifs in a positive direction? I love the idea of balancing the what if game (laughs) because we always play what if on the bad side, on the skin. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But what if things are even better? Right. And they ended up like when I finally was like, yeah, okay. Now I've been playing that what if game in my head. I'm like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to gamble on myself. And then life expanded in the most magical and miraculous ways and unexpected ways. And I was just like, wow, I waited so long because I was scared. Like, wow. wow. Oh my goodness. Where are you now? So where I am now is this wonderful place. I am in Fortune 500 sales still, but I am now instead of being the sales leader, I sell to sales leaders. So I'm at executive level sales. I sell the director to C-suite and I published, wrote and published my first book, Harness Your Inner CEO, and that debuted as a bestseller on Amazon. So that was really exciting. And now really the thing that I am most passionate about as a spinoff from both of that is speaking to corporate women's groups to help empower other women to thrive in both their personal and professional lives, which I'm really like that dual aspect and get really fired up about. Well, I can't imagine that anybody wouldn't be inspired by your story and everything that you've Mm -hmm. been through. What is the message of the book? If you had to sum it up. The message of the book is kind of what I talked about. It's, it's, you are the CEO of your life 
And you have that personal power. You have the choice to choose you. And then once you choose you, then you can really tap back into passions and things that light you up from the inside out. And what I have found in my journey and then taking clients through this too, is that when you connect with your personal power, you then give space for passion to arise. The outcome is more prosperity. And that wasn't initially what I had anticipated. I had no idea how much money I was going to make when I left this job, you know, like all of that. And just in that one swoop of connecting back to my personal power, reconnecting with my passion, by the time the offer came back in to go, like it was a Dell exclusive reseller, but nonetheless, the offer came in for like 50%. I got a 50% increase. It was double the pay that I was making. And like, I stayed in that job for three years and I left for double the pay. I'm like, man, I should have done that a long time ago. (laughs) But I try to use that example as a way that, you know, readers or listeners on podcasts can, can be like, oh my gosh, I have a lot more power in my current situation than I think I do. And the outcome can be far better than I could have ever dreamed of. And that's really what I hope to get through in the book. And then I provide some, you know, framework for that to happen that I've brought clients through and have proven it works. It's such a strong message. I think it's so easy, especially when you're in an environment that doesn't respect you in some way, or that it feels like the the power balance is so far in favor of your boss or your company or whatever, to recognize how much power you actually have. If you are, you know, if you're talking to somebody who is fitting the the profile of what we're talking about right now. What's step one? Step one for me, I think, and what, what I encourage everyone to do is just do a self-assessment in your primary buckets of life. Like how are your relationships or your, are they thriving? Or And then I say like at work, are they thriving? In your personal life, are they thriving? Just start to get rate them one through five. I don't care. Something easy for you, like five thriving, you know, one surviving and just give it a meter. But then like, how are your finances? How's your, you know, your spiritual life just kind of go through life in a couple buckets. Like if you think of a CEO taking over an enterprise, they're not going to start making changes right away. Their very first step is going to be assess all the different departments and see which one needs to be throttled first, which one needs the most improvement. And so that's what I kind of encourage people to do with their life is just pause, take an assessment. The book starts with an assessment. I even have an assessment that we can give the listeners to that's in chapter one of the book so they can do an assessment for themselves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So for anyone who's listening, who wants more information about the book, the assessment, all of that information will be in the show notes along with Becca's information. If you want to connect further with her, any final thoughts that you would share Becca? Yes. I mean, as a final thought, I want to just say that you're worth it. And the reason I'd like to, to end my stuff there is I think we just need reminders that we are worthy of all things. Like we are already worthy because we were born because we exist. And sometimes we just need that reminder. So you are worthy of creating change. You are worthy of creating the life you love and you are just worthy because you're you. So those would be my closing comments. I love it. Oh my gosh, Becca, thank you so much. This has been such an inspiring conversation. You I'm sure have already helped so many and I can't wait for everyone to hear our discussion today. Once again, check out the show notes if you are interested in more information, but thanks again, Becca. 
Yeah, Kim, thank you so much for having me on. Thank you so much for listening to the Imposter Syndrome Files. If you're listening to this, chances are you struggle with imposter syndrome or other confidence issues too. Please know that you are in great company. As an executive coach and former high-tech leader, I spent years battling imposter syndrome. There were times in my corporate life when I was absolutely sure that this was the moment, that everyone was going to figure out that I did not belong in the room, but it never happened. And through the years, with the help of research, coaching, and other resources, I've learned to help myself and others overcome self-doubt and advance our careers with strength and confidence. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please join my Leading Women Facebook group, where women of diverse functions, levels, and backgrounds come together to ask questions, share challenges, and support one another in a safe, trusted space that's difficult to find in the workplace. Check out the link in the show notes for more info on how to find us. And please join us next week for another episode of the Imposter Syndrome Files.